Hello. Before we jump into the show, we need to shout out our awesome new sponsor, Marquee TV. Man, I was so excited when we got the news about the sponsor. You all might remember from a few weeks ago that I talked about my new Shakespeare project where I'm learning everything I can about Macbeth. It felt like we said the name Shakespeare out loud and the marquee people appeared and said, (laughs) we gotcha. It really did. Yeah. In case you're not familiar, Marquee TV is a streaming service. They have theater, ballet, opera, documentaries. There's a bunch of behind the scenes content of productions. Basically, it's a fun way to nerd out about the arts. Yeah, it's a streaming service that will take you to the best theaters in the world from the comfort of your own sofa. I've already added so many things to our watch list. Did you know there's a ballet based on the works of Beatrix Potter? I did. They've got a little preview video of somebody dancing around in a rabbit costume. Peter Rabbit doing ballet. (laughs) I also added a few hip-hop dance shows just to balance out the dancing bunnies. Yeah, (laughs) hip-hopra. That's what they call it. They do. It's so fun. Mozart's Requiem from the London Philharmonic Orchestra and a bunch of Shakespeare plays, including Richard II starring my pretend best friend, David Tennant. And Judy Dench talking about her long relationship with Shakespeare in a master class. Yeah, I love Judy Dench. Sure. But David Tennant. Yeah, that's quite a battle there. Okay. There's a special deal for our listeners. Marquee TV is offering three months of their service for 99 cents. You get three months of all of this good stuff for 99 cents yeah. with the code SSOP. That cost seems absurdly low to me. Like first, I expected it to be much higher given the quality of the content, but also 99 cents. You, you can't park next to a theater for 99 cents. Accurate. Also, if you watch Marquee TV, you get to see these shows maybe wearing your pajamas and hanging out with your cat yeah. or your dog. Yeah. It's a good way to sort of indulge your own curiosity. You can see all the performances of Hamlet or maybe the first 15 minutes of all of the performances of Hamlet, and you don't have to rope your friends and family into all of that. Or you could watch Richard II over and over and over and over. <laughs> What's the best angle for David Tennant in Richard II? Trick question. All of them. <laughs> anyway, You definitely need to explore the website because there is a ton of really fun, fascinating, engaging stuff on there. I went in specifically looking for Shakespeare and I found a ton of other things I wanted to watch. Yeah. You can keep up with what they're doing on social media at Marquee Arts TV. You can visit their website at marquee.tv. That's marquee.tv to get three months of their service for just 99 cents with the promo code SSOP. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. And now the show. Coming up, a story about the fairy folk. An Iranian immigrant searches for home. Plus our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. I just moved a book to the top of my TBR based on a recommendation from one of our supporters on Patreon. Hey, Amanda. Thank you for the book email. (laughs) What's the book? Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies by Heather Fawcett. This is what she wrote to me. I just read a book that made me think of you. The voice felt similar to Veronica Speedwell because it's told in first person, and Emily is very smart, but their characters aren't too similar. Thought that was a solid sales pitch. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, I love Veronica Speedwell. Yeah. And what could possibly be wrong with an encyclopedia of fairies? Yeah. So I went poking around and this is what I learned. Amanda is not the only reader who loved this book. It has four and a half stars on Goodreads after more than 54,000 reviews. Wow. Yeah. Some people have read this. It's the first book in a fantasy series written for adults, not an adult fantasy series, which always makes me think of something else. That would be an entirely different podcast. Exactly. Yep. Fantasy series for adults. Yep. And it features a Cambridge professor named Emily Wilde. She's described as A, curmudgeonly, and B, the foremost expert on the study of fairies. Hmm. According to the flap copy, she is, quote, not good at people. She could never make small talk at a party, and she prefers the company of her books, her dog, and the fair folk. That sounds reasonable to me. I know. I love her already. Yeah. This is the story of her excursion to Scandinavia to formally document the existence of fairies. So she's setting out to write an encyclopedia. Yes. But when she arrives in the village, she is not given a warm welcome. And she has to deal with her professional rival, Wendell Bambleby. Not only is Wendell annoyingly handsome and charming, he has secrets. Rivals in the fairy trade. <laughs> Who knew? So all of that sold me on this premise. Yeah. Then I started reading it and it got even better because the story is told in the form of Emily's journal. So leaning epistolary, but journals. Yes. Okay. In other good news, the second book in the series was released last week. That one's called Emily Wilde's Map of the Otherlands. I feel like back-to-back -back books about fairy adventures are just what this winter needs. They're best read in order, so start with Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies by Heather Fawcett. My book is murder with an exclamation point, like it's a musical, <laughs> from Kava Akbar. This premise will sound like a lot, and it probably is. Murder centers on a character named Cyrus Shams. Cyrus is a 20-something poet. He's living in Indiana. He's the son of Iranian immigrants. When he was young, he lost his mother when her plane was accidentally shot down over Tehran by the U.S. Navy. Mm, that's bad. Yeah. And now his father has recently passed away. Cyrus is newly an orphan, rootless, and having a bit of an existential crisis about it. And then he learns about an artist, an artist who is herself terminally ill and living out her final days in public at a modern art museum in New York City. And Cyrus decides to go visit her. That sounds dark and heavy. I think the thing that keeps us from that is the sense of humor. And I think there's a big dash of beautiful writing. The author is known for his poetry. One of the things that got my interest about this book is the author is, like his character, a first-generation Iranian immigrant living in the Midwest. And I'm curious to hear that angle mm -hmm. of life. The author, Lauren Groff, who wrote The Vaster Wilds, very popular last year, said of this book, this is the best novel you'll ever read about the joy of language, addiction, displacement, martyrdom, belonging, and homesickness. That's a good sell. Yeah. It just came out this week. It's Martyr from Kava Akbar. If you wanted to do a pair read to really get a sense of that immigrant experience, Everything Sad is Untrue by Daniel Nyeri 
is also about a young boy who relocates to the Midwest from Iran. And I talked about that in our Iran episode. I'll put all of that in the show notes. And now our distraction of the week. January can be a tough month for me. Yeah. The sparkly lights and jolly songs and Christmas cookies are all gone. Yep. It's cold and gray, and there are no good holidays for months. It's true. For us, the next break is kind of my birthday, and that's middle of March. Mm-hmm. So I'm consciously collecting little things that make me happy. Yeah. I do yoga with Adrian every morning. I put an extra sugar cube in my tea. And I recently discovered a live stream camera that is bringing me a lot of joy. It's called Namibia Cam. It's pointed 24-7 at a watering hole in the Nabib Desert in Namibia. We've watched this. We have. It's very pleasant. Before I go too much further, let's get oriented. Okay. Everyone, picture Africa in your imagination. Namibia is on the West Coast. Yep. That's the Atlantic side. Yeah. On the northern border of South Africa. So way down south on the coast. Yes. I need to tell you some amazing facts about the Namib Desert. Okay. The name comes from the Nama language, and it means vast place, or there is nothing, or place of no people. Wow. Yeah, and that is no joke. The desert is about 31,000 square miles, or 81,000 square meters. For context, that's about the size of the U.S. state of Maine. And it's almost completely uninhabited by humans, except for a few small settlements of indigenous people. So the whole desert is the size of Maine. Yes. And then Namibia itself is... About the size of Texas. Okay. Fact number two. The Namib is considered the oldest desert in the world. It's been arid for between 55 million and 80 million years. (laughs) Wow. Wow. For comparison, the Sahara is only 12,000 years old. New kid on the block. Yeah. That's amazing to think about. Isn't it? So if you were standing in the middle of the desert, it would not have changed for the last, what, 55 million years? 55 million to 80 million. They're not quite sure. Even though the continents themselves have shifted in that time. Mm -hmm. Wow. Finally, you may have heard of the Skeleton Coast. That's where Namibia's reddish sand dunes meet the Atlantic Ocean. There's a constant heavy surf there and blinding fog which means there are also the broken bones of about 500 ships scattered along the coastline, including centuries-old wooden galleons and more modern steel-hulled ships. All of this sounds very intimidating. Doesn't it? Yeah. Sailors who survived the wrecks were often done in by the endless surrounding desert. Of course. Yeah. Namibia sounds very dramatic. Right? But the reason I'm talking about it today is because it's also sometimes very cute. A few decades ago, around 1990, a group of businessmen bought a bunch of property and created the Gondwana Namib Park. They knocked down fences and set up a huge conservation area, and animals were gradually reintroduced, so now they roam wild but are monitored by gamekeepers and rangers. So that's a nice little conservation effort they've got going there. Yeah, and there's awesome ecotourism there. I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. In 2006, they built a water hole in an open plain for the animals that live nearby, and they pointed a camera at it so that we can watch the animals any time of day or night. Yeah, we've gotten in the habit of checking in on the watering hole around dinner time, right before Jeopardy. We'll take a look and see what's going on. Sometimes I put it on while I'm working, too, just to see who's hanging out at the watering hole. Yeah, we had lunch with ostriches today. We did. (laughs) 
There are lots of gems box. Those are brown and black gazelles that have two very long, straight, pointy horns on their heads. It's kind of like if a unicorn had two horns. Yeah. That's kind of what the gems box look like. There are also groups of spring box. They're a little bit smaller and their horns curve toward each other. So they almost make a heart shape on their head. There are lots of kind of antelope deer-like creatures at the watering hole. Yeah, there are so many antelopes that those kind of feel like, well, of course they're here. I know. We're so blasé. We've gotten bored with the box now. <laughs> As you said, we've seen ostriches. Yep. But until this webcam, I don't think I'd ever seen them drink. You're right. And it's very amusing and kind of made me go, well, of course that's how they have to drink. Yeah, so they crane their neck all the way down to the water. And they kind of stab their beaks to scoop the water up. Yeah. It's kind of violent. Yeah. The way they get the water into their mouth. Yep. And then they raise their head up and I can imagine the water shoots down their neck once they've, once they've got their heads up. Yeah. Gravity pulls it down their long throat. Yeah. And then they just do that over and over and over. Yeah. It seems very inefficient. But also kind of makes sense, right? They have those long necks. Yeah. We've also seen jackals, yeah. which I originally thought were foxes. They're bigger. They're bigger. But there are also cape foxes, which we've seen, yeah. which are small and yeah. cute. Yeah. We also saw a herd of zebras. Yeah, we did. And one day, an excellent warthog stopped by to roll around in the mud. And the gems box seemed really annoyed by that. Yeah, they seemed very put off by the warthog. Oh, we also saw a giraffe. Yeah, that was amazing. Very majestic. Very majestic, and also it just put me in the mind of what it would be like to see one of those in the wild. And it feels like it would be just mind-blowing. <laughs> just like be... A little intimidating. Yeah. He had a lot of swagger. But that, you know, they're so tall and kind of odd-looking. and Yeah, know, the spring box did not want to mess with him. No. Also, we've, at night we see rabbits. Cape hares. Yeah. They only come out at night, though. Of course, because they're rabbits. <laughs> According to my research... There are two feral horses that live in that part of the desert. We haven't seen them yet. And I'm still hoping to see a cheetah or a leopard or a honey badger, which are reported to live there. I'm a little worried about being traumatized by the sudden appearance of a cheetah, but <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> I've wondered many times out loud, where do the animals sleep? Because in the shot that you can see with the camera, it's just reddish brown dirt and maybe a scrubby bush here or there. Yeah. On the FAQ, I learned that there's grass, trees, and bushes about a half mile from the watering hole. Oh. So I can rest easy okay. knowing <laughs> they have somewhere to take a safe nap. Yeah. Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library for more on the books we talked about today and more on Namibia and the delightful watering hole camera. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon. 